0: Hey, welcome to the Transforming Life Church podcast. We hope this encourages you and inspires you in your journey with Christ. So sit back, relax, and check out this week's message. Good morning. You're looking good. Yeah, it's good to see everyone. Thanks for being here uh, today. Uh, last year we started a series called Holy Habits. Anybody for that? Remember that? And uh, we started talking through some of these things. Our, our life is full of habits. In fact. I believe you can uh, look at your habits and you can already start to see some of your future, right? Because your habits are kind of leading you in the direction your life is going. So I wonder if we begin to develop some holy habits in our life. Because as Christians, especially if we're wanting to get closer to Jesus, and we're wanting to be disciples, and, and not just Christians, but disciples and followers of Christ, are we doing the necessary things to... To do that. Are are we we developing habits in our life that take us on that journey with Jesus? Because many like to repeat a prayer, and then that's kind of the extent of it, and that's not to bash anybody for that. If you've ever done that, that's amazing. But there's more to it than that. There's a life of following after Christ. So we are going through this series to help you understand those holy habits because maybe some of you have not developed those in your life, or, or maybe you're in that process and you're on that journey and you're trying to do that but maybe it's it's difficult and maybe some of you are doing that but maybe this is just a refresher course uh, for you because there's always more to learn and there's always more that God wants to reveal to us. Amen. And so we're going through this series to help you develop some of those disciplines that's going to take us closer to Jesus deeper in our walk with him. Anybody okay with that? Anybody want some of that you want to develop some of that? Okay, good. I'm just checking I was just check make sure you guys are, are trying with me. But when we started kind of putting together this series a few months ago and kind of thinking through some of the concepts and, and the ideas and what we wanted to speak on, um, I, I knew like prayer and fasting was one of those that I was like, man, we've got to talk about this. Because it's not really taught on as much, and, and it's such a, an amazing discipline that, that not only Jesus models for us throughout the scriptures, but, but it's something that he wants for us to do. But none of us like to talk about fasting because we all love food, let's be honest, okay? Uh, we, we don't like to talk about things that are uncomfortable, right? Um in fasting is where they it can be extremely uncomfortable. Um, but but I have a dear brother, many of you know him, he's family here. Um, and uh, I said man I gotta call Michael down. Um, I gotta call my brother to come and, and speak on this. And we were planning on this like months ago, but he was like, Man, I am booked up. Uh, I was like, hey, okay, we'll make this happen. I said it's not set in stone, so we, we made things work out. Um, so the Dow family is with us today. Mike, his wonderful wife Anna, you all. Well, many of you know them. Again, I said this for the ministry. I'm excited to share the whole family. Mike, come on up. As he comes up and speaks on the concept and idea of discipline, of prayer, and fasting.
1: Right, good morning. How is everybody? It is always a wonderful experience um, to be able to come back to the place where my whole life got wrecked. Um, where my life was radically transformed. Um, it is a sacred space in my heart. Um, as a matter of fact a real space, this space right here in the carpet, but also uh, just this property in general and what it represents. Um, so many beautiful people here, so many familiar faces, um, people that I have grown up with in my early days of trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus and to love him and to love him well and to honor him. And my wife, as was introduced, was born here. Um, but we're just really honored that Pastors Kyle and Haley would invite us. Uh, We're grateful to be here, really, really grateful to be here. We honor you guys. Uh, We celebrate you guys. Uh, We track with what you guys are doing. Um, It's just really amazing to see what the Lord has done. Um, I am going to, in just a moment, pray. If you brought a Bible with you, you can open it to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. I'm just going to apologize in advance. If you're going to try to take notes, and track with me. Uh, I promise um, you can reference the scriptures and things of that nature as we're going. Um, I will attempt uh, to cover uh, a lot of ground in a little bit of time. Since we're talking about fasting, I figured I would just talk through lunch. That way, all of us can fast lunch. <laughs> I guess not. All right. Um, you, you can open up to Numbers chapter 6. We're going to hop into a verse there and use it as a place to begin. Um, Because you realize just as well as I do that we are living in unprecedented days. Um, The challenges are unparalleled to any other time in my life for sure being this generation. Uh, But I'm speaking to many that are sharing that same sentiment. That these are unprecedented days. There is pressure from a unique and variety of angles that is affecting all of our lives. Some may call it a pandemic, an epidemic, a crisis of ultimate proportions whether that is economic, whether that is racial, whether that is political, uh, whether that is social in the different places and categories, that the world has created these conversations and wielded a fierce sword of division and hostility directly across our nation. It seems as if everyone in this hour is pledging their allegiance to someone and to somewhere. In the days that we are living, we have a wonderful opportunity to renew our allegiance to Jesus. Because we are a people that are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17 and 16. When he said, Father, you're in me and I'm in you. And I want them to be in me so that they can experience the same fellowship. The same sense of community. The same sense of divine Family. Would you make them one, even as you and I are one? And the glory that you've given to me, I've given it to them. Why? So that they can be wild in their charismatic expression. No, that's not what he <laughs> So that they can champion their denominational streams and camps and structures. All of their devices, ideologies and their embraced reasons to be separated. No, that's not what he at all. He said, the glory you've given to me, I've given it to them so that they can become perfect or mature in unity. There is a unifying of the people of God that's happening in this season. Through the refining and the pressure of our circumstances, our hearts are being sifted and things are being purged. And a lot of things that have lingered as distractions and they've taken up unnecessary space. They've occupied unnecessary real estate in the place of our attention and our affections and our appetites. These things are being casted off. They're being forsaken. All of the lesser lovers, all of the other things, all of the other persuasions, they're being put down. They're being surrendered, sacrificed. And there's a people that are erupting in this hour, in this moment in history, that are saying, you can have all the other stuff, man. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. Revelation 22 says that in the last hours, at the end of the age, the spirit and the bride are going to be unified in their cry and revelation 22:17 says the spirit and the bride will say come in the last days the anthems will change the messages will change the songs will change there will be a uniformity amongst a people that bear his image in the earth that will cry out for one thing and one thing only give me jesus And if we want to be responsible with our placement in history, we have to be responsive to the Lord. We cannot fall suspect or fall statistic to just being simply reactionary to the world. Being responsive to the Lord and being reactionary to the world are not the same thing. They are not synonymous. Many times we are reacting to what the world is providing, and God is not in what it is that we have chosen to be in. We are living in days where we need discernment as the people of God. We need to know what is the voice of Jesus, and what is just an adopted language that the world is catering to. What is just a verbiage or a rhetoric that politics is catering to. We are not just another demographic of people in our nation where lobbyists are catering to our language in order to secure our vote. We are in this world, but we're not to be of it. We are a kingdom people. We are a peculiar people because we're here, but we don't belong here. This is what Jesus prayed, let them be in the world, but take them out of the world. Be in it, but not of it. This is what Paul's suggestion and exhortation to the Corinthians was. In 2 Corinthians six seventeen. he said, come out from among them and be separate. And to me, this is what consecration is all about. Consecration is a beautiful agent that reveals the areas of our life where we are not abiding as we should be. And I can't talk about prayer and fasting without talking about concentration. Because for me, this is this is the nature of the game. This is what it's all about. I didn't come to give tips and recipes and little gimmicks and little shortcuts and little tricks of the trade. I came to talk about a man. Because to me, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about a person. Because consecration is being separate, it's being called out, it's being devoted to, it's being wholly committed to, it's being dedicated to another. It is a forsaking of my own lustful passions, my own fleshly cravings, my own analytics of what my life should be and the best ways to get there. And it's a complete childlike entrustment Into the hands and the desire of a man that is alive from the dead. And this is King Jesus. We are a people that belong to Jesus. Hear that. We are a people that belong to Jesus. And so in the conversation of consecration. The question is. In what ways could I give more of myself to you? Because this is what it's all about. Lord in what ways could I give more of myself to you? Not not in some religiosity, performance driven Not in some Pharisee type mentality Where I'm just doing it for likes and follows and subscribers I'm just doing it for the clickbait and the applause I'm just trying to develop a resume and an opinion in the eyes and minds of people No, we're not Pharisees I do get it though Because John the Baptist and Jesus together Rebuked the mess out of the Pharisees And they prayed and fasted two days a week Hear that? The Pharisees fasted two days a week And Jesus rebuked the mess out of them they were doing it for performance and not for pursuit. They were doing it for the applause. They were doing it for the idea, the opinion that that is created whenever we talk about what we're doing. Oh, we're all getting mad like I fast two days a week. I don't know a lot of people fast on two days a week. John Wesley, the great revivalist of old, the one who shook literal regions, nations, created the Methodist movement. The fiery flames of revival in his initial days. When he was interviewed, he said, why do men come to your meetings? Why are so many people coming to gather around you? And he coined this phrase, I simply set myself on fire and men come to watch me burn. He wouldn't ordain anyone to the ministry. He was hesitant to lay hands on and commission anyone to release them into the ministry unless they were committed to fasting two days a week. You see, in Numbers chapter 6, this is what we find. We find the awakening of the Nazarites. The Nazarites were a peculiar people. They were a powerful people. They were a people of purity. They were a people of pursuit. They were a people of purpose. And in Numbers chapter 6, in verse number 2, we find a unique phrase. This is Moses talking, and the Lord is interacting with Moses. And he tells him, if anyone among you desires to make a special vow to me, if, if there's anybody among you that desires to make a special vow, you see, I, I like it in a variety of translations, but my favorite would be the CEV, because in the CEV it has a unique verbiage to me that reveals the heart of the matter. It says, if there's any among you that wants, To give yourself to me in a special way. And we know in Numbers chapter 6 it reveals what is the Nazarite call. It's the description, if you would, of what the lifestyle of a Nazarite was supposed to look like. And I didn't come really to jump into all the semantics and the long hair and, you know, stay away from grape juice and don't touch dead bodies. I don't think anybody here is is in jeopardy of those types of things. Uh, But for me, it's not about the long hair, it's not about the grapes and the vine, and it's not about the dead vines. For me, the the internal issue of purity is the representation of the grapes on the vine. Don't take anything in that's going to defile you from the inside. The long hair is a public marking on your life. It's something you can't run from, you can't hide. It's not a private thing where it's like, oh, you know, man, well, how you doing, brother I'm I'm doing good, man, you know, God's just dealing with me about some stuff, and, you know, I'm just going through some stuff, and, you know, but what are you saying? But it's not the type of thing where it can be purely personal and private because the cross is two sides of the same coin. It's both private and it's public. But it was a public marking that you could not hide. There was no escape. You couldn't simply just blend in. You were easily identified. It was obvious. It was clear that you were committed. You had devoted yourself. It was a public expression of an internal persuasion. You had been overcome with desire to give yourself to God in a special way. And we have to understand because he says don't touch their bodies. Why? Because consecration always leads to life this is the crux of the matter you can't see consecration as a punishment because the false perspective in consecration is Lord what are you taking away from me what do I not get to do right it's all about rules and regulations it's all about lost time it's all about vain investments it's all about religious pursuits because of this checklist of items that we know are on Jesus' heart how do we know that Jesus reveals them himself in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we have the three when you do's, if you would, of following Jesus. We have giving, praying, and fasting. And this is Jesus talking. This isn't my own opinion. This isn't just some uh, mishap in the translation. Jesus says, when we give, in Matthew 6.2. He says, when you pray, in Matthew 6.6. 6. He says, when you fast, in Matthew 6.16. Hear me, he says, wait you, not if you. He doesn't say, hey, if somebody debates you well enough. He doesn't say, hey, if you finally get desperate enough and you run into a bunch of crisis in your life and you need breakthrough. Um, he doesn't say, hey, man, like prayer and fasting is the soda machine. You can walk up and throw your two days in. You know, Jesus becomes some genie. You can rub his belly and, you know, get your three wishes. Uh, but we have to understand, consecration doesn't make God something that he is already not. Our consecration does not change God. But it conforms us to his image. It conforms us to his desires. It synchronizes our lives, our hearts, and our desires with his life, his desires, and his heart. And Jesus said, when you do these things, not if you do them, so Jesus is revealing what the life of a disciple, the ingredients in a disciple's life are supposed to look like. And he as a matter of fact, three hot topics Three very hotly contested And debated ideas Giving, praying, and fasting But he says when do you do these things You see in Matthew chapter 9 The disciples of the Pharisees Because the Pharisees had disciples too They come to Jesus and they're Watching him from a distance They're evaluating him Because that's what the Pharisees do and they come to question him. They come with a question, but it's an accusation. Because they've formulated well their indictment. They've prepared their case. And they come to Jesus, and their question is, hey, bro, listen, man, like, we've been watching you and your boys. And we've, we've realized over time, because we've watched you over time, that we fast, but you guys don't. Like, like what's the deal, man? Like we've been checking you guys out. And, and we do our part, but you can't be who you say you are. Because if you were, then you would be doing your part. And Jesus responds to them in Matthew 9, 14 and 15, and he says, The bridegroom is with them. So they have no reason to fast. He says, But there's coming a day, and the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will be found fasting. In those days when the bridegroom is taken from them, in those days when Jesus said in John 16, 7, it's better for you than I go. In those days when Acts 1, he is ascended into the heavens when the cloud comes down to get him. In those days when he is caught up, if you would, once again to his father's right hand, seated Psalm 2, awaiting the day of his release and return. In those days, while they're longing in those days where they're jealous for all of what I revealed to them and promised them. In those days where there's anticipation that fills the earth and the power of my spirit is alive on the inside and they have been a people that have been possessed with a divine life and love. In those days, they will fast. Because fasting is a bridal posture. Jesus said, the bridegroom is with them. They have no reason to fast, but when the bridegroom is taken from them, then they will be found fasting. Fasting is a violent po- posture. Fasting is what revives the sensitivity to the cry of our hearts for the return of the bridegroom. Fasting is one of the unique gifts and weapons in our life that we have been Uh, granted access to by the power of God's spirit alive on the inside of us that refines us so that we can live in the fullness of everything that we theologically believe we have access to. Because for me, it's not necessarily what you agree to theologically, it's how much of what you agree to theologically are you living in practically and experientially. And in most instances, we know more than we're actually living in. And it's difficult to reconcile the tension in our own hearts of what we know is true, of what we burn for, of the things that God has revealed, yet feels distant in our practical day-to-day experience. Fasting and praying is one of the wonderful gifts that God has given us in order to close the distance between the difficult two points. And in Numbers chapter 6, we have the invitation to a unique people group. They are called Nazarites. You see, the word Nazarite itself comes from two Hebrew words. There's Nazir, N-A-Z-I-R, which is your most common reference way to spell Nazarite. And then you have Nazar. Right? Jesus is referenced in the Gospel as the Nazarene. N-A-Z-A-R. Both words combined give us the word that we know as an N-A-Z-I-R means to be set apart. It means to be dedicated. It means to be consecrated to in order to reflect God's glory. N-A-Z-I-R, both Hebrew words, N-A-Z-I-R and N-A-Z-A-R. N-A-Z-I-R means to be set apart, to be committed to be dedicated to, consecrated in order to reflect God's glory. In a simple term, it means called out of a common standing in order to meet God's standing. You see, we're living in difficult days that they've been spoken of since the very beginning. As a matter of fact, Paul said in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. They will search out false teachers and ticklers. They'll deny the truth. They'll have a form of religiosity, but denying the power of. It. You see, we're living in days where we very easily become deceived to believe that we can be Christian without clinging to the Christ. We're living in days where Christianity just becomes an accumulation of hobbies, if you would. Where, well, I pray before my meals. Well, I, I attend gatherings. Oh, well, I give you the offering. That makes me a Christian. You're not a Christian because you've come to church. You're a Christian because you've come to the Christ. You're a Christian because you've seen him. You're a Christian because you've encountered him. He's been revealed beautifully and powerfully. He's been unveiled by the Spirit in your heart and in your life. And there's some experience that you have ownership of that has brought you away from the love of yourself and brought you to a place in your journey where you have seen Him and are now willing to cling to Him as a real person. And not just all of these performance orientations. Where if I have my fancy checklist and I do A to Z, that makes me a believer. No, we're living in days where people consider themselves to be Christian, but they've never seen the Christ. They consider themselves to be Christian, but they're not clinging to Jesus. Where we have a form of godliness in our life, but it's fleshly, it's man-made, it's manufactured. It's a worldly system that has defined what a Christian should look like. the Nazarite cry is uniquely different because it means being called out of a common standard in order to meet or to abide by God's standards. You see, the world doesn't get to define us. The world doesn't get to tell us how we should behave. The world doesn't get to create the idea of what the expression of our devotion is in a loving, faithful, obedient way to this wonderful, beautiful man alive from the dead. The world does not get to determine who we are or how we are to conduct ourselves as we are living among them in the world because we have been called out of the world that we are living in. And so the world's commonality or their standards are not the requirements that are to fall upon our lives. We are accountable. To a still small voice on the inside. We have the accountability of this book. Yes, this is the one size fits all right here. This is the fun line. This is the standing. We do this. We do all of this. We love all of this because all of this reveals all of Jesus. He is the word that was in the beginning with God and was God. He is the word that in John 1 came and tabernacled amongst men. It is completely absurd to think that you could love Jesus and not love all of this. Jesus is not the American Christian mascot. He's a king. (laughs) Not elected. He's not going through some crisis right now because of votes. He's been established. He's been enthroned. We find no political parties in the age to come. We find a king on a throne. Amen. And it is so forever. Amen. And we're accountable to his voice. Because we belong to him. James 4.17 says it this way: if any man knows what he should do, and he does not do that, then to him. Is sin. Right. Amen. According to James, an issue of sin can be categorized as the rejection of the voice of Jesus in our hearts. Because if any man knows what he should be doing, how do we know what we should be doing? Well, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That's right. And another they won't follow. The voice of a stranger, they won't be led astray by. Because those who belong to me, they know me. I know that And I speak to them, they follow me. Amen. So James reveals to us that one of the issues of sin is an outright rejection of the voice of Jesus that's alive on the inside of our hearts by the Spirit. Because we're accountable to His voice. We're accountable to His voice. Do you understand that there's coming a day where we're going to see Him? Listen to me. Where we're going to see Him. This isn't some coloring book story. There's coming a moment where the Son of Man is going to return. Amen. The sky is going to split The signs will reveal themselves in the sky And the Son of Man will come riding upon the clouds with the host of angels Myriads of angels In all the glory and the authority of His Father The ancient of days And He will come riding upon the clouds And His rewards will come with Him There's coming a moment where we're going to see Him And we will behold the One That has revealed Himself to us we will see in fullness beauty glory and majesty the most beautiful man that has ever lived the most powerful man that has ever been alive the one who laid his life down on our behalf we are going to actually see him and for some it is going to be problematic because we will realize in that day i spent my whole life fighting him. I so much time wrestling with you. I knew your voice. I knew that you were attempting to have your way in my heart, to lead me. I knew that you longed to pull me away from things and deeper into yourself. I knew that tug, but I fought you. I knew that voice, but I rejected it so many times. There you are. There you are. You see, number six says, if any of you desires, if there's anybody that wants to give your life to the Lord in a special way. And the first definition reveals being called out of a common standard. Listen, these are days that let go of all the common stuff. Put down all the worldly Christianity. Come on, I'm telling you, in any way that you're straddling the fence, in any way that you're trying to have your cake and eat it too, in any way that you're trying to hold on to both sides, these are days, like Revelation 22, to wash our robes. These are days to get it right. These are days to put things down. These are days to yield to the grace of God, to let him have his way in our hearts. These are days where we are weirdos because we're not going to be normal according to what the world says. Man, let me tell you. Word for somebody right there. Be a weirdo for Jesus. Stop trying to be what the world considers to be a Christian. But the second definition is N-A-Z-A-R. And it too needs to be called out. It also needs to be consecrated. But it needs to be elevated amongst others. And it needs to be given authority over the land. listen to the two. The first, consecrated, set apart, dedicated in order to reflect God's glory. N-A-Z-I-R, N-A-Z-A-R, consecrated, set apart, but elevated amongst others, to be given authority in the land. But let me just first say, um, it's gonna be very difficult to take territory in our city when we don't allow God to take territory in our hearts. Um, it's going to be very challenging in order to cry out for breakthrough in our city and in our region when God is desiring breakthrough in you. When we're wrestling with his kingship, when we're fighting. For his authority in our own hearts, where we won't let him have his way in us, but yet we come and we contend for him to have his way in our city. Um, You you do understand that this, over time, uh, becomes confrontational um, in an interior way, because the Lord does want to give us authority over the land, but it first and foremost begins in us. Fasting is one of the beautiful crucibles where we bring ourselves subject by the power of God's spirit, to the loving rule of Jesus in our lives. Lord, you can have your way in me. I I don't want to have any competitors. I don't want to have any places in my heart and in my life where I honestly know that I don't have control. Right, this is what Paul says in Philippians 3 when he's referencing those who are out preaching in vain ambition. In his description of this crowd, he says they're enemies of the cross, that sounds rough, but then he says their God is their appetite. And the reality of it is, is that at times in our lives, there are appetites that have control of us rather than us having control of them. And there are places in our own heart and in our own life where we do realize that we are not living in the fullest measure of breakthrough that has been made available to us. There are places in our lives where we recognize that there are appetites where the harness of King Jesus has not been able to bridle them and bring them subject to his rule in our lives. And if we are going to be honest, there is a Romans 7 type conduct that is happening on the inside where Paul says the things I don't want to do, I somehow keep doing them and the things that I do want to do, I can't to be able to consistently do them. There's a tug of war on the inside. The roommates on the inside. There's the wrestling of two natures. There's the fleshly man, but then there's also the power of the spirit. And there are appetites that are alive on the inside that govern our lives. There are appetites that govern our lives. You see, for me, fasting is about food. Period. Period. I get it, I'm not going to make a lot of friends by saying that. It doesn't matter, I'm not here to make friends. Fasting is about food. The Webster's definitionary says, the Webster's dictionary definition says, fasting is an abstaining from food or particular foods, especially when done as a religious observance or expression. Fasting is about food. Well, what does that mean? Why does that matter? It matters because it means fasting is not about Facebook. Fasting is not about your television, it's not about Netflix. It's not about the mall, even though we probably can't go there anyways. It's not about sports, it's not about extracurricular hobbies and activities. Fasting is about food. Because if the enemy can distort our definitions, he can dilute our rewards. Fasting is about food. I promise you, staying away from Facebook for 30 days is not going to provide the same crucible in your life as staying away from food for 30 days. And in reality, fasting is a discipline, but not all disciplines should be considered a fast. Fasting is a discipline, but not all disciplines should be considered a fast. If we're not disciplined enough in certain areas, we need to call it for what it is. If I'm not disciplined enough to turn the TV off, I'm not fasting the TV. I'm trying to discipline my life to where my hunger for Jesus and the appetite that I have for him Finally, wins out over my hunger for whatever series it is that I'm committed to. Real cry. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. But being a Nazarite and being awakened right. to a Nazarite type call and cry <laughs> in our life is realizing. The rejection of a common standard in order to respond to an intimate voice. Because the call of the Nazarite is not about rules and regulations. You see, being a consecrated lover is not about rules and regulations. It's about desire. Because the definition that I told you, the verse that I like, number 6-2 in the translation that is most precious, if you would, to me is the C.E.V. And it says, if any of you have a desire to give yourself to God in a special way.
0: You see, what's interesting to
1: me is that in number six, there's 27 verses. The majority of our emphasis falls on the last six verses, which is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Right? And especially with the song, right? Like the blessing. Right, I mean, I mean it's done. It's great. But the majority of our emphasis in Numbers 6 falls on the last six verses, verses 22 to 27. The Aaronic blessing where God speaks to Moses and he tells Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to pray this prayer over the children of Israel. But what precedes the blessing? 21 verses about the Nazarenes. The majority of Numbers chapter 6 is about a peculiar people that want to give themselves to God. In a way that's different. Not out of force. Because the invitation is through desire. You see the invitation went out to everyone. But there had to be desire inside of someone. It was a general invitation that required a personal, intimate response. He says, is there anyone out there that wants this? Is there anyone out there that is filled with desire? Is there anyone out there that has a jealousy? Is there anyone out there that burns and says, I get it. I know what everybody else is satisfied with. I know the common ground that everyone else stands on. I know what everyone else says is okay. I know the rhythms I knock, and if anyone will open up and let me in. You see, the Nazarites were about a people that were filled with desire, much like the woman, the beloved, in pursuit of the bridegroom in Song of Songs. In chapter 5, she says, I was asleep, but a voice spoke to me, and I I, I like it in the New King James, because she says, I became woke. Anytime <laughs> you, you really want to be woke, respond to the voice of Jesus. <laughs> she says, I was asleep, and I was awakened by a voice. And I'm praying that this morning, regardless of where you might be in your journey, and if there be any place within us, if there be any place within us that has desire, that he would awaken us through his voice. She says, I was sleeping. I was out of it. I was disconnected. I was awakened by a voice. She says, he spoke to me. And it put me in pursuit. And I got up and I removed the veil and I could not find him. So I went looking for him. And she says, I went running through the streets like a wild woman because I was lovesick. I had to find him. And I began asking those that I bumped into, have you seen my beloved? Do you know where he's gone? Where can I find him? You see, this is the foundation of the awakening of the Nazareth. I've got to have him. I've got to have him. He's touched my heart. He's spoken to me so tenderly and so kind. He's invited me away from all of the definition of normal that I should have been satisfied with. I have to have him. All of my desires have been ravaged by him and by him alone, and it has put me in pursuit. She's running through the town square. And in verse 8 and in verse 9, it says that they see her running around, lovesick, completely overwhelmed, taken over by a desire and a jealousy for the bridegroom. And they ask her, like, "Yo, what is wrong with you? Like, what is it about this dude? Like, why? Are you so wild for him? Like, what is it about him that has done this to you? Man, may the days return where we're so head over heels, I mean, just baptized. Deeply immersed, wildly taken over in love for Jesus and the pursuit of our lives has purified us from the inside. It has marked us in an obvious way from the outside and we're living in the life of God in an abundant way. Not just theologically but experientially where the world around us begins to say, What is wrong with you and what has so happened to you that you must find this one that you're chasing down? And this is her response. In verse 10 of chapter 5, she says, My beloved is dazzling. He's dazzling and he's ready. Or dazzling and handsome. And he is the cheapest. Charles Spurgeon said that Solomon had to come up with a word that didn't even make sense in the regular human language. He's the cheapest among 10,000. Dazzling is a brilliant light that has eclipsed everything else that shines in our life. Dazzling is a light that is so bright and so beautiful that it doesn't only outshine the rest, but it dims them entirely. May something happen in our hearts where when we consider consecration, We no longer see it as rules and regulations or just religious performance, but we find the wonderful and the powerful invitation from Jesus to come deeper into the experience of him as a real person and our hearts have become awakened and now we cannot live without the taste that we have had. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good for when he touches us, we thought we were hungry until we see him again. And then something just unquenchable on the inside happens to us. She says he's dazzling. Because when I saw him, he put out every other pursuit. When I saw him, every other bright light, every other worldly thing that used to shine and persuade, it got dim and it got put away. My beloved, is dazzling. And he's the cheapest That means he leads. He's superior. He is supreme in nature. He is ultimate amongst the rest. He is cheapest among 10,000. Among 10,000 what? Who cares? Among 10,000 anything. You put my Jesus. Next to 10,000 anyone. And he outshines them all. You put my Jesus next to 10,000 anything. And he's better than the rest. It doesn't matter who you line up beside. It doesn't matter all of the worldly things. Associated in whatever crowd or category. It is that we may have thought was going to be worth it. You put Jesus up against anyone or anything. And he is the cheapest. Among 10,000. And he's dazzling and she says, I have to have it. I have to have it. You see, you can miss meals and miss Jesus too. Just because you're staying away from meals, just because you're turning from meals, does not also mean that you are intimately turning to Jesus. And, and that's cool. Like, there's grace. Right? I get it. There's grace to grow. We partner with the grace of God. Like, I, like I understand. But we want to be called up higher. Right? We're not fasting to diet. We're not fasting to lose weight. It's not all snap. I can't wait to crap another 40 so that I can shed 40. I gotta get rid of this quarantine 15 so I gotta go on like a 21 day Daniel or something. It's for him. It's all for him. There's a crowd in Matthew 7 that didn't do it for him. But didn't we do these things? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we raise the dead? Didn't we work miracles? Yeah, you did. I never knew you. Activity is supposed to be fueled by intimacy. But those of us that lack intimacy will always point to activity. It'll always be about what we're doing, and not necessarily who we're doing it for. But the Lord is awakening a people in this hour they're going to begin to respond to him. And they're going to give themselves to him in an uncommon way and tell him it's happening and it's coming. There's a beautiful and burning people that are arising in this hour of history. A people that are going to behold the Lamb and they're going to follow after the Lamb. And all of the worldly stuff is going to get pushed to the side. And they're going to be pure because the pure in heart shall see God. And they're going to be powerful because he's given himself to us. Our power and the weapons of our warfare does not rest alone in our fleshly carnality and all of our self-manufactured religiosity. It is going to be a simple beholding and a simple yielding to the land that will produce a people in this hour of history that are going to rise and shine. And we will begin to behold the rest of the world because we are in it but not of it and the reason that we are hope to it is because we have been broken from the influence of it and just as Moses looked at the crowd that day and issued the invitation uh, I feel that I was to come and offer an invitation in similar fashion Moses said is there anybody out there wants to give yourself to the Lord in a special way. He said, this is how you do it. Internal purity. Public or visible marking. Which our high to Like, deal with what needs to be dealt with on the inside. Internal purity. Public or visible marking. Really be set apart. Not in a convenient way, but in a covenant way. Not only when it fits our friends, and benefits package, but where we've been so gloriously raptured by the lover of our souls that I don't know what else I would do. Like Peter says, where else would I honestly go? I found you. And you have the words of eternal life. And I've left everything to give myself to you. Because it always leads to life. And I just believe There are some of us here this morning and maybe right now in your own self-evaluation and consideration, maybe you don't necessarily know what would it look like for me to give more of myself to the Lord? How would I walk that out? How would it get fleshed out in my life? I'm not necessarily coming to try to give uh, a one-size-fits-all blueprint But I feel as if I have come to awaken a jealousy to respond to the still small voice that's alive on the inside, that leads and guides and helps to navigate and provides the grace and sustains us in the place of the power of our motivations. This voice that's alive on the inside, He will lead the way. This voice that's alive on the inside, the Spirit will make it clear. This voice that's alive on the inside, Jesus will reveal His desires. Because he knows exactly where we are. Yes. He knows right where we are in our journey, and in our story. And I feel as if this morning, he's wanting to pull you deeper into himself. And praying and missing meals is going to be part of that. To pull you deeper into himself. And so I'm just going to ask you, uh, all over the room. Just just stand up with me, if you would, for a moment. I'll ask you to respond in just a certain way. In a certain way. I do teach Schools on fasting all over the world didn't necessarily feel I was supposed to do that in a more academic way, You to put it that way. It's so easy to just get lost, wrapped up, and overwhelmed in all of the details if you would when they're distant and they're cold. Having been baptized in the flame of love. This is what Solomon writes at the end of the Song of Songs. A love. It's more fiery, more jealous. It's more passionate. It's stronger than death. He says, put a seal on my heart. I belong to you. Right there where you stand. Just if you want to, you can close your eyes for just a second. As the music plays for just a moment, I'm just going to pray something very simple over all of us. And then I'm going to issue an invitation for any among us who may feel to respond to the Lord this way. Particular and peculiar way, as Moses invited them that day to do. So that you thought your bride was to die. For. Woo! Jesus. grotesque and simple. It doesn't have to be wrong for it to be wrong for us. And I ask you, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us? And would you invite us away? Would you invite us away? Oh, lover and romancer of our souls, Would you move us away? ask to And if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, just respond to it. Just come to the front. You can find a place in the front. We'll have our prayer team and the folks that help I myself have joined in. Just in a few moments lay hands on you. Uh, It's not even necessarily uh, so much about that. But like Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6.1. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, but partner with you there's something in your heart right now. where you know that the Lord is speaking to you. There may be a wrestling. There may be an ever so soft speaking. I'm just asking you. Just respond to the Lord. Just respond to the Lord. This ain't got nothing to do with me or anybody else. This is you and Jesus. And you being willing to give yourself to Him in a greater way then whatever that may have looked like, Lord, rewrite the definition of normal in my life from this day forward. I'm giving you room. You have space here. I grant you access to my life. I don't control the terms. Have your way. Redefine normal. Rewrite the expression of my devotion. Here I am. I want you